Hello, people of the way. Uh, we are in our Wednesday study, and uh, just uh, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Crazy, wild days that we're living in. Um, you know, it's so weird just to think how the world is yearning for peace, and Satan will surely present a man of peace. Um, you know, I was just thinking about the last days, the events of the last days in accordance with Scripture. And, you know, like just two years ago, two weeks ago even, just the thought of, you know, how dangerous would it be to when a man of so-called peace arrives on the scene? How weird is it to fathom the possibility that it could be dangerous for the Christian? And as, you know, just two weeks later, two years later from that thought, it's starting to get easier to understand the concept of standing for Jesus Christ as we progress further and further in the last days can be very harmful for the Christian, especially when this advocate of world peace and stabilization across the globe and speaking against him, you know, count the cost, count the cost. It's very wild the days that we're living in and, uh, you know, be of good cheer because we were foretold about these events. We were told long ago the church has been ready and Satan's been trying to put us to sleep. He's been trying to lull us, you know, singing sweet lullabies of things that the world has to offer, you know, but don't take that candy. You know, this is a very times where the Christian, you know, it's not a time to be singing Kumbaya, you know, and remember Jesus Christ says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to divide. Those are his words. And, you know, first it's division of soul, division of our own hearts, because we're the natural man, we're the natural woman, and we're confronted with truth, and there's division in our own hearts. The realization of like, whoa, I'm wrong. I'm the one that's in the wrong. And then all of a sudden, you know, we believe in Jesus Christ. We receive him, we receive his grace, his mercy, his love, the salvation through Jesus Christ. He's the only way. And then we start to grow. We start to mature as new creations, born-again believers. Be wise. Wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. It's very, very important. You know, and Jesus Christ, our Lord, says, unless those days be shortened, no flesh would be saved. No man would be saved. Even the elect, he says. Very perilous times. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. But we were told about these things. You know, and it's so wild. You know, keep your eyes on Israel. Keep your eyes on Jerusalem. And you start to see like, whoa, you know, some certain things that are happening with annexation of the West Bank and, and Judea and Samaria. These are all things that are prophesied when Jesus Christ says, you know, let those be in Judea, flee to the mountains. This coming peace, it's false. It's false peace. And this coming peace, it's could very well be the beginning of the final seven years of world history in accordance with Holy Scriptures. Stay awake. Stay awake. If you have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 6. Leviticus chapter 6. And if I can preface our study through Leviticus, you know, we go through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament systematically, verse by verse, line upon line. From time to time, the Lord gives us uh, um, topical sermons, topical studies. You know, those happen from, from time to time, not too often. 
but here we are in Leviticus 6, and we're going to look at things, and it's going to seem like I'm advocating the law. It's going to seem like that, and I don't want it to seem that way because, you know, I'm going to say things and look at things, and you're going to be like, wow, does that mean we have to do these things? No, it doesn't because all of these things in the Old Testament are a shadow of the things to come. Jesus Christ, he fulfilled, he's the, he's the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He's the, the sin offering. He's the sacrifice. He's the lamb. And so if you're wondering like, wow, what is he talking about? I mean, uh, you might have never listened to this sermon before. And you're like, what in the world is he talking about? You know, go through our old, old studies to the book of Matthew. You know, go through our old studies. You'll see. And it's so cool to see how the Lord works. How he teaches us. Remember, Jesus Christ says, yeah, I am the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You know, God says, I never change. Thus saith the Lord, I, I, I never change. You read the, uh, the writings of the prophet Malachi. And it's so cool because it's like, what is the Lord doing here? You know what he's doing? He's making man. He's making woman, young, old. It, it doesn't matter. He's making people right with him. Remember, it's sin that separates us from him. Sin. That's the satanic trick. He tries, you know, once we become alive in Christ, all of a sudden he tries to make us to trespass, as we talked about in previous studies about trespass. You know, it's like a little sin, the little sidestep. But you know, sidestep, 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 and all of a sudden you're falling. You know, each little sidestep, you run the risk of your heart getting harder. That's what happens when you start to take advantage of God's grace. It's like, oh, it's okay. You know, God will forgive me. It's okay. I'll go ahead and do this. Yeah, it's okay. God will forgive me. I'll go ahead and do my crack. Yeah, it's okay. God will forgive me. I'll go ahead and, you know, do the prostitution stuff. No, it doesn't work that way. You, you come to Christ and all of a sudden it's like, wow, we become sinless. Not, not sinless, but we sin less and less and less and less. Because we grow, we start to understand like, wow, you know, as a new creation, I don't like the crack pipe anymore. I don't like the pot. I don't like the, you know, the sexual stuff. I don't like these things because you're a new creation in Christ. He gives you a new spirit, a new heart. You think differently. Very important in these last days. And so here in Leviticus 6, you know, what he does is he gives further instruction for the offering. Further instruction for, uh, for all these offerings that we studied, you know, the grain offering, the burnt offering, the sin offering, trespass offering. And all of a sudden there's like these little, I don't want to say addendums, but I kind of think of it, if I can put on my legal hat, I kind of think of it like addendums. You know, you have like a legal brief. And if you ever read like a legal brief and then all of a sudden you have like the main topic and then you have these subsections. And, you know, sometimes it can be 100 pages. So you can have like, you know, one paragraph of a law and then a 100 paragraph subsection, you know, and it's like, wow. And you read through it and you're like, why? It's like very intricate. And, you know, I like to think of it like a little child, you know, like if, if you if you have a kid and, you know, you say, OK, kid, don't I mean, you know, OK, son, you know, OK, baby girl, you know, and then, you know, you say, OK, kid, uh, don't come into my office or don't come into my work area. Say, for example, you are a mechanic, you know, in your work area. It's not you don't want to be with the kid. It's that, you know, it's dangerous. It can, there's harmful things for the kid. You're like, okay, rule number one, don't come in this area when I'm here, you know. And then so the kid's like, wow, okay. And that's like your rule. 
And the kid says, well, you know, what if I want to, what if I want to tell you I love you, you know? And you're like, okay, if you, if you want to do that, then you can come in, you know? And so the, there's the main rule of, you know, don't come in my office, but then there's your little addendum. If you want to say, I love you, that's okay. You can come in, but you know, make sure I know that you're there first, you know, get my attention first. And then what if the kid says, well, what if I want to give you a Hershey's kiss, you know, or what if I want to give you uh, 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 an apple or what if I want... So there's all these little addendums. So the main rule is don't come in here. But then there's little addendums like, but what if this? What if? And so you're like, okay, in this situation, then you can. In this situation, then you can. So that's how I kind of like to think of the law. And then remember, there's the Ten Commandments. And so you have all these little addendums to the Ten Commandments. And that's where we're in Leviticus. We're going to see in Numbers. We're going to see in Deuteronomy. And then we're going to see the prophets too shedding light on these laws and addendums in light of where the people are in their position with the Lord. Sometimes you're going to see people who are close to the Lord, like Hezekiah and his relationship with the prophet Isaiah. You know, And we're going to see all these things. And then with this understanding of the law, you're going to understand why God moves the way He does further in the Old Testament, whether good or bad. And I don't want to imply like, wow, you know, God moves badly. Well, it depends on the person. It depends on, you know, like King Saul. Not to say that God moved badly, but God moved righteously. God moved judiciously. But, you know, you can read the account of Saul and you'd be like, man, Saul got a bum deal. But with this understanding of the law, the Ten Commandments, and then like the initial rules, and then the addendums, and then tertiary additives from the prophets, if I can speak a little legalistic with you, not legalistic in accordance to the faith, but legalistic in terms of uh, attorney lingo. And then all of a sudden you start to understand like, wow, that's why God was angry with Saul. That's why God had issue, took issue with Saul. That's why God you know, took issue with... Uh, um, Jezebel, you know, God took issue with all these people. And then so all of a sudden, you know, never, ever, ever forget what we read in Matthew 22, verse 40, what our Lord says, red letters in my Bible and possibly even yours. In Matthew 22, verse 40, you know, it's always important to remember the love of God is number one. Number two is the love of your neighbor. And then our Lord says in Matthew 22, verse 40, He says, On these hang all the law and the prophets. Those two factors. The love of God and the love of your neighbor. God and people. Always in that order. Not people first. It must be always God first. Because what happens if it's people first? All of a sudden, God goes on the back burner. And you see that, you know, in, you know, like uh, Lutherans, you look at the early beginnings of Lutherism, Luther, uh, uh, like uh, um, Martin Luther, his exodus from the Catholic religion. You're like, wow, this is so beautiful. His, you know, as he started to understand the, the Greek and Hebrew translations and had, as he had greater understanding, he was like, wow, you know what I learned in Catholic religion? It's totally not what the Bible has to say. And there was his exodus away from the Roman Catholicism. And so you look at early Lutheranism and you're like, okay, you know, I'm down with this. But then it's like, okay, keep going, Martin. 
Keep going, Mr. Luther. You know, look at the Lutheran movement today. You know, it's like, wow, they, God is on the back burner. They have, you know, the love of people. It's like, okay, yeah, you know, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you, which isn't a bad thing. But where's the love of God? And I don't mean the love of God like, you know, we're going to pour love on you. That's, that's, there's a good thing about it, especially when you're on the receiving end. When you're on the giving end, there's, you know, also something beautiful about that. But then at the same time, it's like, you know, I love you, but, you know, you have to deny this sin. And that's what happens when you put people in, in front of God. You know, at what point, you know, what are you going to sacrifice? Are you going to sacrifice the Lord's feelings and grieving the Holy Spirit? Or are you going to sacrifice people's feelings? Now, when you love people over God, it's like, wow, I'm not going to tell you about your sin. Because I don't want to hurt your little feelers. You know, I don't, you know, I don't want to offend you. So I'm not going to tell you that, you know, you can't do your crack anymore. I'm not going to tell you to put down the pornography. I'm not going to tell you to, you know, stop beating on your wife, stop cheating on your wife. Because I don't want to hurt your little feelers. You start to become a man pleaser. You say, whoa, that's hardcore. Well, don't forget, there's a trickster out there by the name of Satan. He roams around like a lion waiting for whom, whom he may devour. And he'll use your feelings. It's like a salesman. Cheesy salesman. I shouldn't even say cheesy. He's quite effective. First question in the Bible came from the serpent. Did God really say? Appealing to the senses of Eve. Appealing to her feelers. You see, so you have to understand these laws. It's like, you know, as we go through Leviticus, as we go through the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, Numbers, we're going to see these things and it's not like, okay, let's go back to the law. No, because righteousness doesn't come through the law. Righteousness only comes through Jesus Christ. All these things in the law are a shadow of the things to come. Remember, you know, the Pharisees, when they were talking with Jesus Christ, they were like, well, we're of Moses. You know, who are you to say these things? We're of Moses. We follow the law. And Jesus Christ says, Moses wrote about me. Moses wrote about me. If you're not going to believe his writings, how are you going to believe what I say? Very important to understand these things. So let's look at here in Leviticus chapter 6 verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins... This is a... These, <laughs> verse 2, If a person sins... This word for person, you know, we haven't touched on this. It's been st stated before. But the Hebrew word, it's not just a man. It's not just a man or a woman. You know, it's a person. But deeper than that, it's the soul. You know, this has eternal implications. Remember, souls live on. Souls live on. It's these bodies, these earth suits that fade away. But souls live on. You know, our old pastor in California, he was at the deathbed of somebody. The family, he says he hates doing it, you know, when he knows that somebody's not a believer. And he doesn't do that anymore. You know, he likes to go to believers. And if he goes to non-believers, he'll tell them, you know, you have to repent. You know, he'll tell the family, hey, repent. It's not like, you know, you know, hey, we need a, we need a pastor over here. This guy's dying. We need a pastor. It's like, what do you expect the pastor to say? Like, you know, you're going to go to heaven when, you know, you're 
a raging alcoholic, a drunkard, a, you know, a crack dealer, you know, a pimp. Oh, yeah, you're going to go to heaven. No, you tell him, repent. But he said, he gave an account to the tree. He says, one of the last times, you know, somebody was on his deathbed. And he was urging him, hey, you need to repent. Because you're, you're dying. Your, your body is fading. You need to repent. And the guy still wouldn't repent. And he's dying. And then all of a sudden, he started to cry out and says, my feet, I can feel the burning. The guy, he was about ready to die. He said, I can feel the burning. And he was screaming like, all, like a weak body, just a shell of a man. And then all of a sudden, just this burst of energy, just crying out like, I can feel the burning. And he never repented. He never repented. You know, people say, oh, yeah, you die, you know, and that's it. You know, you're here in this earth. You have your earthly experience for, you know, 60 years, 80 years, 100 years, whatever, you know, however the number of your days, whatever they might be. And people say, oh, yeah, that's it. That's it. No, that's not it. That, you know, you hear people say that and, you know, that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's not it. That's what Satan wants you to believe. There's more. What is your eternal destination? I don't care. You know, Buddha might promise heaven. The Virgin Mary might promise heaven. All these things, different religions, they all promise heaven. But I'm telling you today, Jesus Christ is the only way. The only way. I don't care what Buddha says. His tomb is empty. I don't care what Muhammad says. His tomb is empty. Or <laughs> his tomb is occupied. Buddha's tomb is occupied. Mary's tomb is occupied. There's only one tomb that's empty. Only one tomb that's empty is Jesus Christ. Son of the Most High God. The risen King. And so when you see this here in verse 2, if a person, you know, it's, it's a person, it also has, it, it speaks of the soul with eternal implications. Think of yourself like that. The eternal implications of your soul with choices that you make in this life. And then he says, if a person or if a soul sins. And this word for sin is to miss the mark. Miss the mark. I haven't golfed in like a year, two years. Year, I'm going on my second year. I haven't played around a golf. I used to golf a lot. And you know, you, you take a 72 par 72 course. I've only I've parted courses several times, parted several courses several times. I've birdied a course several times. But you know, imagine like a 18 hole golf course and at your 18th hole you're done and your score is 18. You know, it's impossible. But it's like, wow, you know, you never miss the mark. You're at the tee box, you hit the ball, it flies and lands on the green, and then all of a sudden rolls right into the cup. It's like, wow, you never miss the mark. I think it's so beautiful to consider how our Lord desires you, desires me, not to miss the mark. That's what His desire. You know, not don't get down on yourself and think like, man, that's impossible. I can never do that. No, He desires you to to. to to hit the mark, not miss the mark. He desires you to make the mark. He desires you to hit the mark. But we have to come be realistic with ourselves. Be realistic with yourself. It's impossible. It's impossible because we're in these earth suits. And I'm not making excuses for sin by saying that. I don't want to make it sound like, oh, okay, you're going to sin anyway, so give up. No, don't, don't, 
don't confuse my words like that. You know, Jesus Christ. Abide in Christ. And no period. When Jesus Christ says, abide in me, there's no period. He says, abide in me and I in you. It's union. Holy union. You and Jesus, Jesus in you. And then, you know, he says, when you believe in him and you commit your life to him, he gives you the helper, capital H, the Holy Spirit. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to live the Christian life. And, you know, you're still going to sin. You're still going to trespass. You know, don't turn your back on the Lord. Learn from your trespasses. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from your sin. And, you know, all of a sudden you'll start to grow. You'll start to mature. Just like you see a kid, you know, tripping up all the time, starts to walk, falls, you know, falls again, falls, gets a bruise, falls, gets a cut. But then you see a 10-year-old and you don't see, you know, I mean, you still see cuts and bruises, but that's because it's like they're doing more dangerous things. <laughs> you know, they're growing, they're maturing. You don't see 25-year-olds with cuts and bruises from falls, you know, unless they're into motorsports or something, some type of extreme sport. And it's so cool because in Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, outside of that, you're like, man, I'm missing the mark. You know, you, I, 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 you know, no one is righteous is what the Bible says. But then in Christ and with the power of the Holy Spirit, you sin less and less and less. You're like, wow, I don't like the crack pipe anymore. You know, I don't like the sexual stuff anymore. I don't like this stuff of, you know, the getting drunk anymore. I don't like my head in the toilet anymore. And then all of a sudden you're alive in Christ. And he does a work inside of you. That's his promise. And I testify that he does it. He lives up to his promises. It's so cool because it's like, wow, you know, when you start to think of the, the writings of Scripture, Old Testament and New, we're straight up in the law. This is Leviticus. I mean, a lot of... People, a lot of pastors and Bible teachers, they go through Leviticus in like the entire book in like, you know, a two weeks. You know, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but they quicken it because it's like, uh, it's the lawless. There's nothing to study in the law. But what I love about Leviticus is you start to get a deeper understanding of the nature of God. His character, the things he likes, the things he dislikes, and what great lengths he puts into motion or the things that he puts into motion and the great lengths that he goes to to make man and woman right before him because he loves you well actually you know he loves you and he made a way jesus christ but he loved the people then and implemented the law you say like what do you mean well you know the lord you know the people they were like you know uh, 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 you know moses was like okay you know we're gonna go to the land of milk and honey and, you know, all of a sudden the Lord speaks to Moses and says, I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you. And, and when you read Exodus 33, verse 3, the Lord straight up tells him, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you. It translates as, lest I destroy you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. That's Exodus 33, verse 3. You know, hey, Moses, you lead, you lead this people. You go, you know, I'll, I'll meet you at the land of milk and honey. Because if I'm with you, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to wipe you guys out. And so all of a sudden, Moses, he intercedes for the people. 
And then the Lord says, okay, I'll go with you, but I'm going to give you, with the law, I'm going to give you a new addendum, so to speak. He says, there must be sacrifice, there must be blood. Because life is in the blood. You know, like, if you get like a major artery cut, you'll bleed to death. You know why? Because life is in the blood. Your life is in your blood. You you get a you know major artery cut, you're down you're dead. You'll get you'll feel your body get weaker and weaker and weaker, and then finally it just fades away, because life is in the blood and it pours out. And so when Moses interceded for the people, the Lord says, "Okay, there must be blood, because in accordance with the law, life for life, life for life." Remember, the wages of sin is death. Old Testament and New Testament, even still today, the wages of sin is death. If you happen to be listening to this message right now and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the wages of your sin is death. You will burn in hell. If, if you don't repent and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I pray that's not the case. I pray that you do repent. And receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because it's very important. It's like the days of Noah. You know, you you think about Noah, you know. I don't know where you are in Christ, but you know, you think about the days of Noah. And it's like, man, you know, why didn't those people get in the boat? And you wonder, like, why? You know, I wonder what they said to Noah. Why did they ignore him as this preacher of righteousness as the Holy Spirit reveals to us through Peter? Why did they ignore him? Well, nothing new under the sun. That's you today. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, don't be like that generation of the days of Noah. I'm telling you, hey, get inside the boat. Get in the ark. Repent and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, you know why? Because God loves you. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. This is so hardcore stuff because here in in verse 2, if a person sins or misses the mark and commits a trespass against the Lord, you know, this is a result of intimacy. You know, your sin is against the Lord. You might think like, wow, you know, I did this guy wrong. Wow, I did this lady wrong. I did my friend wrong. I did, you know, whatever. But don't forget. You might have done this person wrong. But forget about that person for a moment. Forget about yourself for a moment. God is grieved. God is grieved. There is such a thing as grieving the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens with trespass. That's what happens with sin. Grieving the Holy Spirit. And when you have intimacy with Him, you start to understand like, wow, Lord, I don't, I don't want to grieve you, Lord. You're my best friend. You're my master. You're my Lord. I don't want to grieve you. And all of a sudden, you know, it becomes easier to put down the crack pipe. It becomes easier to put down the sexual stuff. It becomes easier to put down the bottle, the strong drink. That's called being alive in Christ. You take off the old man, you take off the old woman, and you put on Christ, and you wear him like a big, huge garment. 
because he desires to make you a new creation in him. So he says, you know, it commits a trespass against the Lord by lying. You know, no such thing as a little white lie in the Bible. You hear people say that, oh, it's just a little white lie, no big deal. No, it's a huge deal. Huge deal in the eyes of the Lord. So look what happens here. By lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping or about a pledge or like, you know, something entrusted to you. This is in accordance with the law. So when I say like entrusted to you, that's like if we were here in the tabernacle days, but just figuratively speaking, or about a pledge or about a robbery, or if he has extorted from his neighbor or, you know, translates as committed fraud. Very interesting, the days that we're living in, because, you know, you would turn on the TV, you watch the news and you're seeing robbery after robbery after robbery after robbery. And it's like, wow, you know, what's going on inside of that heart? Inside of that soul. And I'm not trying to nullify emotions. You know, you talk to people all the time and it's like, wow, they have some deep-seated issues. Deep-seated rage. Deep-seated subject matter of all kinds of issues. But what's going on inside the heart? And what is the position of that heart before the Lord? You know, I think it's very important, you know, when, you know, for parents to, you know, have this authority over their children because kids need that. Not as like a dictator, although, you know, I can make a strong argument, you know, like, you know, be a dictator, you know. But it blows me away because, you know, when you have this sense of authority, it's like, man, you know, I'm not going to speak against this authority figure in my life. And this authority figure in my life, it's not just, a, you know, a, a dictator. It's also somebody who loves me, who cares for me in the mind of a child. You know, what's going on? You know, what's going to happen to this, you know, this mentality that says, oh, you know what? I'm going to take from this guy. I'm going to steal from my employer. I'm going to extort, extort money from my employer. Or, you know, somebody said, you know, like it says here, uh, uh, lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping. You know, what if an uh, Amazon truck comes to your house and you get a package, you open it, and it's like, wow, it's something cool that you like. You're like, I didn't order this. You look at the delivery and it's your neighbor's. And then your neighbor comes to you, hey, did you, did you get a package for me? You're like, nope, I didn't get it. And you lie. Even if your neighbor is a jerk. Your neighbor might be the biggest jerk on the planet and you can't stand the guy. You know, you're trying to sleep and he's playing his music really loud. You know, or you know, you're, I don't know, whatever neighbors do. You know, he's just the biggest jerk. And you're like, no, you know what? I'm going to keep this. I like this. I'm going to keep this package, but it's not even yours. You know, you might think like you're justified. But then you read the Bible, you know what? You're not justified. It is evil in the sight of the Lord. It is a trespass before Him. Remember, if you forget about the neighbor for a moment, and even for a moment, forget about yourself. Look at the grieving of the Lord. Remember, He desires you to hit the mark. 
And these little white lies, people say, oh yeah, it's just a little white lie, no big deal. Oh, you know, I got I earned this money, but I'm going to report I earned less money. Or I earned this money, I'm going to report I made less money, and then also I'm going to pay you under the table. You know, hidden money. That's dirty. That's evil in the sight of the Lord. Not only that, but you're grieving Him. He doesn't want that for you. Why? Because He wants you to hit the mark. That's what He desires. You say, Lord, I can't hit the mark. You think He doesn't know that? You know what I mean? Like, you think of a golf, we go golfing. You and me, we go golfing. It's a par five. You know, par five, 490 yards. Eh, yeah, 490. Maybe a long par four. Well, I'll say five. And the Lord wants you to be at the tee box, take out your driver, hit it, and have it go so far and fly in the air. Hit the ground, bounce a little bit, roll on the green, and then find its way to the hole and drop right in the cup. That's what he desires. He desires you to hit the mark. He also knows that's impossible for you to do. That doesn't mean like, oh, Lord, I can't hit the mark. I can't, I can't you know, get you know, a hole in one on, on a par five. So therefore, I'm going to give up. I'm going to throw my clubs in the water and I'm out of here. No. He made a way. Jesus Christ, he made a way. You see, it's so beautiful when you start to understand. Like Leviticus, we're like in, we're like, we haven't even finished verse 2. And look at the depth of these things when you start to understand God's heart. When you start to understand how much He loves you, how much He desires for you, how much goodness He has for you. And that's just in this life. What about the life to come? Paradise. I mean, you straight up read Genesis in the early chapters and you see the tree of life and then all of a sudden it disappears. It's banished, you know. You see the angels that are forbidding for the, the tree of life. And then you never, ever, ever through the entirety of Scripture, you, it, it disappears. You never hear it. But then all of a sudden you see it in the book of Revelation. And it's in paradise. And in, the, in Genesis, he says, you can't eat of the tree of life. But in Revelation, he says, here, eat of the tree of life. You see how much goodness he desires for you? And he's so good. So good. And even when I don't deserve it, and while we were sinners, it's not like, you know, you have to make yourself right and then believe in Jesus Christ. He knows how dirty you are. He knows how dirty I am. He knows how dirty I was when I came to Jesus Christ. It's like, you know, I still have anger issues today as a born-again believer. You know, I'm on the road, and then all of a sudden somebody cuts me off, and it's like, oh, I can't tell you that my blood just boils. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know, I understand. I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. I'll slow down. You see, it's like you're still going to have these anger issues. Or, you know, for me it's anger. It might be anger for you. It might be something else for you. That's not to say that we give up, we throw the clubs in the water and, you know, walk away. No, it's to say like, Lord, you know what? You, you know that I can't get a hole in one. I know I can't get a hole in one. But you know what? I'm going to abide in you. And you know what? You're going to help me. You see, because you love me, Lord. And not just you love me, Lord, but I love you too. That's what's so cool about a life committed to Him. 
you know, and you see these little white lies. Little white lies today, there's nothing new under the sun. But what about the little white lies back then? And the Lord is addressing it here, right here. In verse 2, by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping or about a pledge or about a robbery or if he has extorted from his neighbor or committed fraud. In verse 3 says, or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely. You hear, hear, hear people say, oh, finders keepers. That finders keepers mentality, God has a position on the matter. He doesn't like that. You know, you find a wallet at the grocery store. Oh, wow, look, the Lord has blessed me. You open it up and there's like five $100 bills. You're like, wow, the Lord has blessed me. Finders keepers. No, that's evil in the sight of the Lord. You go to the grocery store owner and you say, look, you know, or to the customer service, you say, hey, I found this wallet. You know, don't thumb through it. Look at the credit cards. Get the guy's identity, you know, so you can do your identity theft. No, that's evil in the sight of the Lord. You say, here, I found this money. Or I found this wallet. And so somebody comes up to the front counter. Oh, I lost my wallet. It's an old guy. You know, I lost my old lady maybe. I lost my, drop my wallet. And then the manager's like, here it is. It's right here. And she starts to cry. That was my rent money. I had a little bit of money for groceries. And then that was my rent money. And then all of a sudden you're pleased. You're, the Lord is well pleased with you because you didn't have this mentality that said, oh, finders keepers. That's stupid. You hear people say that. Christians even. You hear people say that, oh, finders keepers. No, you're a loser if you have that mentality. Don't be a loser. You see, it's like that's somebody else's property. And that's what the Lord is addressing you. Nothing new under the sun. You hear me talk about it right now as I am. The Lord, He had His issues of, with it as well. Don't do that. You know, because, you know, forget about the person. Forget about you. Think about God. And the grieving that goes on in His heart. When He has so much desire for you. I don't want you to miss the mark, He says. And so in the Old Testament, He gave the law. In the New Testament, he gave us Jesus Christ. You say, what's the difference? How come we don't do the how come we don't do the law anymore? Well, the law points to Jesus Christ. And you know, if you don't understand what I'm saying, you know, read our earlier chapters or latter chapters in uh, Exodus. Go listen to those sermons. Early chapters of Leviticus, and then you'll start to understand, oh, I get it now. And so see what happens here in verse 3. Or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely in any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins. You see, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, men are similar. I should, I should say man is similar. I want to say man, it's man and woman. Very similar. Because sin still needs Forgiveness. Sin still needs to have a covering over it. You still need a covering over you. I shouldn't say sin needs a covering. You need a covering. Because when you repent and you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says your sin is thrown in the sea of forgetfulness. 
So say, for example, you do your brother wrong. You repent before the Lord. And then you go back to your brother and you say, hey, man, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have did, did this. You know, here's your, here's your $100 back. I shouldn't have robbed you. I shouldn't have stolen this money from your wallet while you were sleeping. So here, here's your, here's your $100 bill back. And your brother's like, wow, thank you. You know, I, I was wondering where that went. But you know what? You're my brother. It's okay. I love you. And I go, okay, that's... And then you go to the Lord. Lord, you know, I know I repented of this, but I know I shouldn't have done it, Lord. And then you repent again. <laughs> the Lord's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know why? Because it's forgotten. It's a forgotten thing. That's the beauty of forgiveness. You say, like, I don't get such a raw... I was talking with a guy once. He said, man, God gets such a raw deal because he takes my sin and he forgets about it. Yes, that's called grace. Grace. You see how beautiful it's like, wow. How could you not love him back? That's the question I have. And, you know, being the recipient of grace, that's the question I have. How could you not love him back? But no, you know, you love him back and your love for him gets deeper and deeper and deeper and your knowledge of him gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit does a work in you and all of a sudden he'll tap on your heart and he'll say, okay, now I want you to go do something for me. That's what we're studying in through the book of Acts. Now the Lord is leading all these people, the apostles, formerly disciples. Now he calls them out to be messengers. And so look what happens here. In verse 4, then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty. I love this so much because you know what? There's no trial. It's not like, you know, oh, let's go to court. And, you know, this guy gets an attorney. You get your attorney. You know, there's the defendant, the prosecution. And it's like, okay, you know, what's the issue? And then you have a judge. No, it's like straight up you're guilty. If that's you, you're guilty. I love that so much. What about, you know, does that mean we become self-governing? No, not at all. Because you can look at that and be like, okay, does that mean I'm self-governing? No. If you remember our study through Genesis and Jacob when he wrestled with God, and then all of a sudden God changed his name. He says, you're no longer Jacob. You are now Israel. And Israel translates as governed by God. You see? The acknowledgement of the Lord. You make a choice. Lord, I know I'm in the flesh, but I believe in you and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And then all of a sudden you read his word and then you make a cognizant choice to say, Lord, I want my life to be governed by your word. And then you yield to his word. And here we're in the law and we're going to see things in the law, but I'll make specific mention, you know, when we come to these passages, like, you know, you don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. Because it's, it all points to Christ. Remember, it's, it was everything in the law was symbolic. The blood. And the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you. The question is, do you believe it? You see? And so look what we see here. He says, it shall be, then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty. That he shall restore what he has stolen or return what he has, what he has stolen 
or the thing which he has extorted or what was delivered to him for safekeeping or the lost thing which was found or all that that about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore its full value, add one-fifth more to it, and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. That's hardcore. The Lord is saying, hey, add 20% to that, whatever its value was. You see? So it's like you steal a hundred bucks, give it back to the guy you stole it from. Give it back to the lady you stole it from. With an extra 20. You see? Straight up. That's like, whoa. And, you know, in today's day and age, you know, the lady or the guy might say, oh, you don't have to do that. You know, it's okay. But remember, forget about the lady, forget about yourself, and remember the Lord. What's his position on the matter? So you say, man, I can't afford a 20. So... Don't steal the hundred. You see? I mean, let's forget about money for a second and just look at grieving the Holy Spirit. But carnally speaking, it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. That's like, you know, when we're forgiven in Christ, you know, your sin is forgiven. And that's your position with Jesus Christ. That's your position with God through Jesus Christ. But there's still some form of restitution. I'll say it another way. Reaping what you have sown. Say, for example, you beat on your wife. You cheat on your wife. Your wife who's been faithful to you. And then all of a sudden your wife finds out that you've had, you know, 10 lovers on the side. So-called lovers. 10, you know, floozies on the side. And your wife finds out about it. And you're just destroyed. She's destroyed, but you're destroyed. And then all of a sudden, in your heart, you repent before the Lord. And it's pure. It's it's you know you feel the 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 the, the nature of your sin. You see its impact on others. And you're forgiven before the Lord. But then your wife packs her bag and says, "You know what? It's over. It's done. Takes the kids, everything. It's over. It's done." That's reaping what you have sown. And I I hate that thought because it's like, well, this is hardcore stuff. The the breaking up of families. But, you know, you see people, it's like, you know, that's just, you know, I've talked to people before where it's like, man, I'm so down and out. But it's like, I believe in Jesus, but look at my life. It's like, okay, look, before the Lord, you're, you're, you're fine before the Lord. And what you're going through right now, you have, you're reaping what you have sown. It's part and parcel of sin. It's, you know, you can't expect mankind, humans, you know, to throw sin in the sea of forgetfulness. Only God does that. I mean, we're going to see that in further chapters in the Old Testament, especially with David. Because you read the account of David and you're like, wow, how, Lord? A man after your own heart? Even after the major sin, it's like, wow, a man after your own heart? Even, you know, in the New Testament writings, wow, a man after your own heart? Look at what he did. 
That's my carnal nature. But to God, sea of forgetfulness. But he still had to reap what he had sown. This first child. And not just the death of his first child. But his children, and when they grew up, the waywardness, the sword in his home, he still had to reap what he had sown. I've talked to men, women, in all kinds of different situations in life. And they say, wow, you know, how come, uh, how come, you know, you tell me I believe, I should believe, and I do. But look, you know, I read the promises of God, and, and, and I don't have that. Well, even this world testifies how nasty it is. Even this world testifies of the need of paradise. It's like, what promises are you talking about? I open up Isaiah. Look, the Lord promises this. The promise is still there, my friend. But you know what? Maybe it's paradise. Maybe it's five years down the road. Maybe it's 10 years down the road. Maybe it's when you're 95. Or maybe it's in paradise. You say like, oh man, I can't wait that long. Well, then you're not thinking eternally. Remember, soul. Think of eternity. If you haven't gotten used to the idea of thinking eternally, get yourself there. Start thinking that way. Because we're living in times, we're living in days where, you know what, it's not, we can't play around. And I don't want you to play around. So if you have problems thinking eternally, pray about it. And start thinking that way. It will help you in your walk. You say, man, that's too hardcore. What are you talking about? I'm not going to do that. You know, you don't have, you can't tell me this. Well, maybe you've never had authority in your life. And I don't, it's not like, you know, I, I am the authority. No, it's not like that at all. But I'm telling you based on Holy Scripture, which is my authority, Start thinking eternally. Because when you're eternally minded, it will help you in the choices you make today. Like, man, you know, my friend wants me to do crack again. When you're thinking about paradise, you're like, no way. I'm not going to do that crack. You see? That's what I mean when when I say thinking about eternity will help you in your walk. Praise be to the Lord. And so look what happens here. In um, verse five, or all that was, or all that about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore its full value. Add one more fifth to it, so add twenty percent, and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. So you see, the Lord he desires you to be right with God. This is in the Old Testament. But that doesn't change the nature of God. He wants he wanted the people then to be right with him, and he wants you to be right with him. You see? And you know, it's remember, on on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love God and love your neighbor. And when you love God, it's like, wow, Lord, I don't want to grieve you. 
I don't want to grieve your spirit. And so therefore, I won't do this. You know, I'm not going to do the crack. I'm not going to do the sexual stuff. I'm not going to do the alcohol. I'm not going to steal from this guy. I'm not going to steal from this old lady's purse. But then what about when you love your neighbor? It's like, man, you know, it's 500 bucks is this guy's rent money. Yeah, I can buy whatever with it, but you know what? That's his rent money. But it's Satan that tries to tempt you. Wow, do you know what you can do with that 500 bucks? You know the crack that you can buy with that 500 bucks? It's like a twofer for Satan. So your neighbor's out 500 bucks and you know you're back on the crack pipe. So Satan gets a twofer. Don't let him. Don't let him. The only way you can be wise to these things is through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way. Especially in these last days. And so look what happens here in verse 6. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish from the flock. Remember, nothing mangy. Not a mangy flock. You know, not a mangy animal. You bring like the cream of the crop. Wow, this is my best. And you offer that to the Lord. This is in the Old Testament. You don't do, we don't do that now. But in the Old Testament, you know. And so he says here, with your valuation, so that's the 20%, as a trespass offering to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. So leadership, I have something to say about church leadership, pastors, elders, deacons, bishops, Bible teachers, youth leaders. If the Lord has called you to those positions, you are a vessel of cleansing for the people. By his word and through his word and by his spirit. You are a vessel of cleansing. Never, ever forget that. And I say that as encouragement. I don't say that as warning. I say it as encouragement. Because, you know, when Satan tempts you, oh, yeah, look at this crack. You'd be like, no way. I want to be a vessel of honor for the Lord. Get behind me, Satan. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You see? That's called spiritual warfare. That's called fighting the good fight. And I'm not speaking about, you know, I'm a former Catholic. And you go to the, you know, go inside the booth, you know, forgive me, Father, it's been three months since my last confession. And the the priest is there. Okay, my child, you know, go, my son, go ahead, say what you got to say. And then you say, yeah, you know, I, you know, punch the guy in the face. Okay, pray the rosary ten times. And you see these people with their beads, you know, praying the rosary, you know. With each bead, you know, they pray the Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, you know, full of grace. That's evil. That's idolatry. You say, well, you're taking this too far. What do you mean evil? Remember, anything that separates you from Jesus Christ, anything that separates you from His Word, anything that separates you from time on your knees praying before Him, anything, anything that separates you from church and time in Bible study can be. An idol. I'm not saying it is an idol. That's between you and the Lord. But it can be an idol. That's why I say it's idolatry. Idolatry straight up. Say, man, that's too hardcore. Well, I'm telling you, there's no other way to live. Be hardcore. If you're not hardcore, get yourself that way. And so my special message to church leadership, 
pastors, elders, deacons, bishops, Bible teachers, youth leaders. Remember, you're a vessel of cleansing. If the Lord has called you, if you just want to do good for your community, no, be very careful with that. Because, you know, you've been... Somebody appealed to you. I shouldn't say somebody. This doing good for the community, for your fellow man. I understand the appeal behind it. But you can't follow feelings. If the Lord has called you to ministry in you know a capacity of Bible teacher, pastor, elder, deacon, bishop, praise be unto the Lord. Don't be a man pleaser. You must always be a God pleaser. Always. Because the Lord is using you to cleanse His people. People that He loves. People that He died for. He says here in verse 7, And he shall be forgiven for any one of these things that he may have done in which he trespasses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command Aaron and his sons. So now we see a picture of the priesthood. Saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. Remember, we touched on the burnt offering in chapter 1. And so he says here, The burnt offering shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen, gar put on his linen garment and his linen trousers. He shall put on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering which the fire which the fire has consumed on the altar and he shall put them beside the altar do you remember the garments that that were uh, fashioned in exodus remember these garments in chapter 39 of exodus they were made you know very skillfully made but in chapter 28, the Lord gave Moses the blueprints when he had his intimacy on the mountain. And so now he's giving instructions for actual use and functionality. This is an Old Testament example and faith and works working together and being a doer of the word. You know, when you, you, say, you hear me say, read your Bible, it's not just to read the Bible like literature is to read the Bible and apply it to your life. That's called being a doer of the word. When you learn these, it's like, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, you see a person goes to medical school and they go to medical school, they get out of medical school and then all of a sudden, you know, they're working at Starbucks. And I'm not, you know, speaking negatively about them, but it's like they have the degree, they did their, you know, their residency and then instead of getting plugged into a hospital, they go and, you know, work at McDonald's. And I'm not speaking negatively about that because, you know, if, you know, the Lord likes honest work, whether it be at anywhere, any station in life. But what I'm speaking of is to say, wait a second, you have all this knowledge that's not put to use. So say, for example, I get my med medical degree. And, and all of a sudden, I get out, I do my residency, and they say, okay, we're going to plug you in at this hospital. And instead, I say, no, thanks. I'm going to go work at, you know, uh, uh, Build-A-Bear. You see? Not, not speaking negatively about those positions. But it's like, wow, I'm not even using what I have learned. 
the same thing applies to our faith. You read the Bible, and you're done reading the Bible, you close the book, and then you call your crackhead friend and say, hey, you got any more of that crack? You got some leftovers? Let's go do some crack together. Or you close the Bible, and it's like, okay, I'm going to go to the strip club now. No, don't do that. You might say, well, I see Christians doing it all the time. I know Christians who do that. Well, I'm not talking about other people. I'm talking about you. Remember Peter when he was talking to the Lord? And Peter was like, Lord, what about this guy over here? The Lord is like, don't worry about him. That's between him and me. I'm talking to you, Peter. You see, straight up, you know. I'll say this, I'm talking to you. You say, oh yeah, I don't like, I don't believe in Jesus Christ because all these Christians, they do this, they do, they talk a good talk, but you know what? <clears throat> my pastor's a crackhead. Or my, my old pastor, when I was younger, now he's a crackhead. You know, I used to go to this church and they molested all these kids. I used to go to this church and you know, I'll look at the, the whatever. It's not to say I don't care about it, but I'm talking to you. You make a choice. You see, be a doer of the word. Don't read the Bible. Don't listen to these sermons. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to go do my crack. No, don't have that mentality. It's foolish. That's called, that's, you, the Bible says, you know, when you do that, when a person does that, they're either a dog or a pig. If they're a male, they're a dog. If they're female, they're a pig. You know, going back to the vomit or wallowing in the mud. Don't do that. It's to be clean before the Lord. And that only comes with the relationship with Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we live the Christian life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, you see people say, I believe, I believe. It's like, okay, well, what's up with this crack over here? How come I see you drunk all the time? It's like, yeah, you believe. But where's the walk? You say, oh, that sounds judgmental. Well, you know what? The Lord helped me in taking big two-by-fours out of my eyes. People say, don't judge lest you be judged. But when you read the passage in Scripture, the Lord says, you have to take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will be able to help another one. So all these people, you know, don't judge lest you judge. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm not trying to say, hey, you know, you're going to burn in hell. But I am trying to say is, hey, if you die in your sin, you will burn in hell. You need Jesus Christ. Straight up, you need Jesus Christ. Get in the ark. You see, it's so beautiful how the Lord works. Especially, you know, when you think about, I have to say something for pastors, people in ministry, Bible teachers included, deacons, elders especially. Because, you know, elders are the ones who should, we should be the barrier, you know, elders should be the barrier for the pastor. Like a little safety net when the pastor gets a little cuckoo. Is to say, hey, pastor, you know, stay in your lane. Don't start, you know, worshiping Buddha. Hey, Pastor, let me help you. What's this? You want to start doing, you know, Virgin Mary stuff? 
And you say, hey, yeah, hey, Pastor, you know, you need to take a break from ministry because of your crack. You need to take a break from ministry because of your sexual sin. It's not to say, hey, you know what, you're fired. It's to say, no, it's for your soul. Because you're going to give an account, a greater account before the Lord. But you know, when people don't think eternally, they think, oh, this guy, you know, he's so judgmental. It's to be clean before the Lord. Because if you're a pastor, if you're ministry, Bible teachers included, if you're in ministry, you're a vessel of cleansing for God's people. Never forget that. And so look what happens here in um, verse 11. Then he shall take off his garments, put on the other put on put on other garments and carry the ashes the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. I love this so much. Because, you know, sometimes when we meet in fellowship, just so you know, you know, we're not meeting in fellowship. You know, if you're a new listener, we, we don't meet in fellowship because of the coronavirus, this thing that's going on. And then, you know, we're going through like a church uh, little situation because we need a place that uh, we can meet and still abide by guidelines, government guidelines. So we're kind of in a weird phase right now. But, you know, when we do meet, we have times of worship. <laughs> Where we sing, you know, we sing unto the Lord. And there's this, there's such a cool song. It's, you know, to trade these ashes in for beauty. You know, I, I don't have, I can't carry a tune, tune too well, but it's just so beautiful. You know, you trade these ashes in for beauty. And that's what's so cool about being right with the Lord, being right with God. Because, you know, you come to the Lord with this mess, with this filth, with whatever. And he said, Lord, I believe. And you know what? He takes those, you know, and he, it's burned before the Lord. And they're like ashes. Your Lord, take these ashes. And you know what he gives you in return? Beauty. Beauty. And like it says here in verse 11, carry the ashes outside the camp. I love this so much. Because you know what? When you're made right before the Lord, when you repent before the Lord, when you're a new believer, you repent, you know, like... You repent for your past sin, but then you're still going to repent because, you know, you're going to learn, you're going to grow, and you're going to make mistakes. You take, you watch golf, you know, when, okay, I'll reveal a little secret. I watch golf, you know, sometimes when it's on TV, people always say, yeah, I watch golf, and everyone's like shocked, like, what? But yeah, I watch golf. And you see pro golfers sometimes, they're at the tee box, professional golfers. And they'll hit the ball and it goes like way out in the trees. They got to hit a provisional because they lost the first ball. You'll see it from time to time. But the same thing applies to you as a Christian. You could be a mature Christian and you'll be at the tee box and you're going to go way left field or way right. You see, you're still going to make mistakes. And when you do make mistakes and when you do sin and when you do trespass, you need to repent. You need to repent. You see? The whole time in your journey with the Lord until we get to paradise, the Lord wants you right with Him. The same way like the children of Israel when the Lord's like, hey, I'm not going to go with you guys. And then Moses interceded. And then the Lord says, okay, I'll go with you. 
but there needs to be blood now. There needs to be sacrifice because there needs to be atonement for your sin and I'm going to be with you. That's why we say Moses is a type of Christ because the Lord says, I'll be with you. I'll go with you, but you still need blood except the blood isn't the blood of an animal. You read the, the writings of the book of Hebrews. All those things where there were loopholes in the law. There were things that would be much more desired, speaking about the blood of Jesus Christ. The high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's from Hebrews. And remember, Melchizedek is pre-law. So it's like, wow, this is so beautiful how the Lord works. How he set all these things in motion long ago. Paradise lost in Genesis. Paradise gained in Revelation. Where do you want to be? Thinking eternally, where do you want to be? See, the choice is yours. And so, in... Um, Verse 12, and the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. You see, it's so cool because it's like, you know, the condition of the heart. As New Covenant believers, and you know, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you, you, you believe in accordance with the New Covenant, the New Promise. What about what's going on inside of your temple, inside of your body? You see people, it's like, you know, they used to believe in Jesus Christ and then all of a sudden they no longer believe in Jesus Christ. It's like, what happened to the fire? What happened to the flame that used to burn so strong inside of you? I can't tell you, you know, I've talked with so many young people before. It's like, wow, you know, this fire, this holy fire, it's so strong inside of this young vessel. And then like five years later, 10 years later, it's like, hey, how's this guy doing? How's this girl doing? It's like, yeah, you know, he's a crackhead. Oh, man. Kills me. It's like, how's this girl doing? Oh, man, she's a crackhead too. Oh. What happened to the fire? That's what I want to know. What happened to the fire? And so you see these Old Testament examples of like, hey, straight up in verse 12, and the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. Remember, the ashes have been carried out outside the camp. And then the fire that's kept burning on the altar, it shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. And lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. You know, that's why you hear me say in the previous chapters, it's like a, uh, like the priests, they were like straight up butchers. They would take the offering and like just straight up like cut the animal up, separate the entrails, separate. They were like butchers. And you say like, why? What is that for? Well, in as new, a new covenant believer, as a pastor in accordance with the new covenant and as you know if you're in ministry as a as a, you know in, in, in accordance with the new covenant and like a bible teacher you're like a butcher straight up a butcher because the people come in they're presenting themselves to the lord 
and you're like a butcher. You know what your tool is? It's the Word of God. You have a knife in both hands, double-sided blades. It's the Word of God. And you start chopping. And I don't mean to speak gruesomely, but when I say you're chopping, you know what you're doing? You separate the carnal and the spiritual. The Lord is doing the work, but He's using you as a vessel. And the Lord is doing the work. You see, people will call you out too. They'll make fun of you. They'll call you stupid. They'll call you all kinds of things. You know why? Because they've never been used in like like manner. That's why. Their own witness testifies of this. You're such a legalist. You're so stupid. Why you you're going too far with Jesus? It's like, man, go as far as you can with Jesus. Go as far as swim as deep as you can with Jesus Christ. Who cares what people have to say? And when I say you're a butcher, it's I'm not saying like you're gonna like chopping up like souls. It's not to hurt them. It's multifaceted. You're a butcher, you're a cleaner, you're like gently cleaning souls. Because people are gonna come to you all kind of filth. It's not to say, well, you're filthy, get out of my face. No, it's say you're filthy, but you know what? God loves you. Here, let me clean you. What's up with this sin? Here, let's chop it out of your life. Let's chop it up. Here, it's chopped. Now let's throw it outside. And you know, you trade these ashes in for beauty. Let me show you what this beauty is. It's Jesus Christ and the work he wants to do in your life. What's that? You're a crackhead? You know what? I don't care that you're a crackhead. Let's get rid of the crack. And the person's like, wow, you know what? I want to get rid of the crack. Praise the Lord. And a person says, hey, I like the crack. I don't want to get rid of the crack. Then it's like, whoa, wait a second. You know, that's when straight up armor. You know, shield out. Helmet down, sword out. Oh, let me see. Is this a sheep or is this a wolf? People say, I don't get that contrast. Well, you know, say for example, you take, you know, a Marine. Okay, they're, you know... A squad of guys, you know, and they land on the helicopter. They get, you know, a helo landing, helo insertion. And there's a bunch of hungry people here in Somalia. All these hungry people. And you have your weapon. You're fully armed. Except, you know, your weapons, you know, kind of strapped to your back. And you're giving them boxes of food. You're giving them water. All these people come up. These children, women, children, old people, you know. It's like, man, here's your food. Here's your water. And then all of a sudden, you know, a guy comes up. You're like, okay, well, something's up with this guy. He's got his demeanor is different from all these other people. He's not smiling. He doesn't seem joyful. A couple other guys join him. They're stern looking, military age. You see something. They got like this blanket or whatever, you know, somebody's carrying. And all of a sudden they lift up the arms. They lift up the, the covering and they show these their armaments, their weapons. And they start to... You know, point their weapons at you. What are you going to do? One minute, you're like humanitarian. You know, you're giving water, you're giving food, you're giving sustenance, you're caring for the people. And instantly, boom, warrior mode. You see? A threat. It's both. You be both. Same concept. Same concept as a Christian. You say, what do I do? It's both. You know, you can't be stupid. We have to be wise. peaceful as doves and, and wise as serpents. Not peaceful as doves, period. 
not wise as serpents, period. It's both peaceful and wise. Remember, you have to have this concept. And I'm going to be hardcore about it. Because we're living in wild days. Wild, wild times. And every man will fall, you know, except, you know, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, even the elect. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. So let's look at what happens here. In uh, verse 13, a fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. You see? No. In the Old Testament, there's the beauty in the application, you know, of, of, you know, if we were Old Testament, like, you know, say, for example, we were in this tabernacle and we were actually giving, presenting our offering. We wanted to be right before the Lord. I mean, is it still beautiful? Not the work of the law, but, you know, the purpose of the law. People being right before the Lord, being clean before the Lord and being cleansed before the Lord. And you know what? In accordance with the new covenant. For your tabernacle, and I'm speaking about your body, your tent. How beautiful it is to be right before the Lord. And so he says this in verse 14. And don't forget, you know, it shall never go out, he says. So what happens, you know, if you're a young person, and I'm kind of old. I know I sound, you know, young. I just have a weird thing with my voice. But I'm old. You know, like, so like, I sound like I'm 20, but I'm really like 90. No, I'm just kidding. But you see, it's such a trip because it's like, what happened to the fire for your life? Never let it go out. And if you happen to be listening and you're like, man, the fire went out. The fire went out. You know what? Let's fan it into flame. Maybe it's, it was a raging inferno at one time. And now it's just a little ember. Maybe it's just like a black ember, you know. I don't know what they call the black ember. But you know, like when you barbecue and you know, you're done eating, you know, you let the, the charcoal cool down. You know, you're done eating, you're stuffed. But then you're like, okay, I better check. Just for safety, you know, I better go check on the grill, you know. So you go outside. You open up the lid and everything looks black and it's like white, you know, it's got the little ash on it and you can still feel, you know, okay, it's cool, you know, you can kind of put your hand over the grill and you're like, okay, it's cool. But then you blow, you like blow hard and you see like it, the white blows off, the ash blows off and you see a little piece of red in there, bright red, like a little light. And I bet you if you put like a little piece of paper on there and blew it, that paper would blow up into a flame. That might be you. That might be you. Where your your heart was once a raging inferno for the Lord. And I don't know what happened, but somewhere along the way, Satan got a hold of you. And says, hey, I got a nice crack pipe for you. And he took the bait. I'm not going to get on your case about taking the bait. 
But I am going to get on your case about returning to Jesus Christ. Because God loves you. Your Father in heaven loves you. He wants you to hit the mark. Is to say, hey, let's blow on your heart. Let's fan this puppy into flame. Let's ignite it. Let's, you know, let's never let it go out again. Never, ever, ever let this go out again. You see? You see how beautiful the Lord is? How much desire He has for people to be right with Him? That's why I said before, how could this love not be reciprocal when you believe? It's like, wow, Lord, I don't even deserve it. Nobody does. It's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. Grace. Because He loves you. And it's undeserved, undeserved grace. Can you imagine him on the cross? Jesus Christ on the cross? I mean, if you have been punched in the face, it's like, man, this guy punched me in the face. You know, I'm going to come at him with bricks. You know, if it's a little guy, you know, I'll take him. You know? But if it's a big guy, man, this guy comes at me with a fist and I'm coming at him with a bat. You know, that's my old carnal ways. But Jesus Christ hanging on the cross died. They hung him on the cross. And they were shouting, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. And he's on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What in the world kind of love is that? I love it every day. Every day I bask. I'm so joyful at his love. But it's a love to this day. It's. It's difficult to understand, but as I get older, it's getting easier to understand. And it's beautiful. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, to address my little, uh, uh, you know, baseball bat comment, it's like, man, that's the thorn in my side. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. That's an evil mentality. I want to mention that because it's like, man, you know, you're all, we're all going to wrestle with the flesh. It's part of a walk with Christ. Just as, you know, you're going to see Israel in their wilderness experience. Even when they get to the promised land, it's like they're going to deal with the, their own flesh as a assembly, the carnal nature. And then they're going to deal with you know, that's the, the the inside attack. That's you and me. The inside attack choices that we make. But then, you know, they get to the promised land and then there's the external attack. Enemy forces that come against them. Same thing applies to you and me. Enemy forces that come against you. What we're reading in the book of Acts. Opposition that comes against the apostles. Opposition that comes against the Christians. You see, through the law, through the Old Testament, the Lord is trying to teach you something. It's to say, hey, fight the good fight. Fight the battles internally and fight the battles externally. I want to say externally, it's spiritual. And what we're seeing in the book of Acts in our study on Sundays. 
So let's continue where we left off here in verse um, 14. This is the law of the grain offering. So there's more. So it's like, you know, what we read about the grain offering, which is beautiful. It's like, okay, the people gave, you know, instructions for the people giving their offering. And it's like, okay, now what happens? Now what happens? So the little more addendums to the grain offering. And so he says here, the sons of Aaron shall offer it on the altar before the Lord. He shall take from it his handful of the fine flour of the grain offering with its oil and all the frankincense, which is on the grain offering, and shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma. Pause there for a moment. For a sweet aroma. I'm going to tell you a good habit to get into. Start considering your life, the choices you make, everything. I say your life and in parentheses and all that's implied. Start considering your life as an aroma to the Lord. What, what scent do you want to present to the Lord? Do you want to be a stench to the Lord? Or do you want to be a sweet aroma to the Lord? The choice is yours. But start considering your life as an aroma. You know, have you ever smelled stinky people before? You know, start thinking of yourself like that. You know, I don't want to be stinky before the Lord. So present yourself. Start thinking about your life. You know, it's like, wow, you know what? I'm a Christian. I'm going to close my Bible and I'm going to pick up the crack pipe. No, that's stench before the Lord. When your friend calls you and says, hey, let's go get some crack. Let's uh, you know, get the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. And then after that, let's go to the strip club. It's like, no. Because you know why? You're thinking eternally. I don't want my choices to be a stench before the Lord. I want my life choices to be a sweet aroma to the Lord. When I find a wallet at the grocery store, I don't want my life choices to be a stench before the Lord. I want my witness to be a sweet aroma to the Lord. You know, today we live in the selfie generation. Everybody likes to do their good deeds for, you know, social media. Say, look, look how good I am. Look, I'm, you know, helping this homeless guy. Oh, look at my, look at my hair. My hair is perfect. You know, if your girl, oh yeah, my hair is perfect. I got my fake eyelashes on. You know, I got 10 pounds of makeup. And it's like, wow, you know, you see like a cool picture, but it's like, man, that was like a thousand pictures. You know, and this one angle is the good lighting, everything. It's like, okay, man, I'm going to post this. Stupid posers. That's all they are is posers. What about when you have no social media and your good deeds are for the Lord and before the Lord? He sees. It's like, wow, you know what? I don't want to steal the money out of this wallet. Oh, yeah, finders keepers, finders keepers. You know, don't be a dummy. Don't be stench before the Lord. Don't be gross before the Lord. You know, you hear parents tell their kids, oh, yeah, it's finders keepers. It's okay, look, the Lord is blessing you. No, that's evil. That's wickedness. Is to say, wow, finders keepers. No, I found it, but I need to find the owner. Or I need to tell the manager of the grocery store, like, look, I found this wallet. 
where I found these keys. You know, somebody's on the side of the road and needs help. It's like, man, you know, let your life be a sweet aroma to the Lord. What do you want to be, a stench or a beautiful, sweet aroma? Straight up Leviticus. This is like the law. But that's what's so beautiful about the law. We start to understand the character of the Lord. You know, I wonder what sweet aroma Cornelius was. Remember our study in Acts about Cornelius? I wonder what kind of sweet aroma. He wasn't even a believer. He's not even a Jew. He's a straight up Gentile. And the angel appears to him and says, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have come up before the Lord as a memorial. What? <laughs> That's so wild. It's like, he's not, he doesn't even know Jesus Christ. Like, he might have an idea. Maybe he heard it through the grapevine. But he still honored the Lord. It's, and then Peter, or yeah, Peter, upstairs on the roof, and then the Lord gives him a vision. And, you know, the people come down, the messenger, the, 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 the entourage of Cornelius that were sent out. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, go with these guys. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, it's like all these people who say, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit doesn't move like he did 2,000 years ago. I wonder if they say so because their life is a stench before the Lord. They say, oh, yeah, you see the visions in the book of Acts? Man, the Holy Spirit, God doesn't move that way anymore. That was just for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. I wonder if their life is a stench before the Lord. But with Cornelius, look what happened with Cornelius. I wonder what beautiful aroma, what that life must have been like. His prayers before the Lord. His alms before the Lord. It's like, wow. You see, start thinking about your life choices as a stench or an aroma. And what do you want to present before the Lord? I'm talking to Christians. If you're a non-believer, it's like, you know, come to Christ first. Come to Jesus Christ. And when you come to Jesus Christ, you know, the Lord will start to do a work inside of you. You can be all kind of stench, you know, stinky when you come to the Lord. All kinds of stench. The same way I was. All kinds of filth. All kinds of filth. You know, I've never really told anybody the entirety of my testimony. Never. Because I'm ashamed of it. I'm so ashamed. But the Lord never told me. He never told me, I don't want you. Never. With my filth. He never said, Turn around, get out of here. He took me in. And he cleansed me. He purified me. I love him to the end. 
does the same for you. You know, you hear me speak about how much God loves you. I tell you from experience. Straight up. You know, if you don't know Jesus Christ, or if you've turned away from Jesus Christ, he's never going to say, get out of my face. No, he'll welcome you. And then he'll welcome you, and then he'll clean you. He'll teach you. And then as he teaches you, something's going to happen inside of you. The Holy Spirit will do a work inside of you. And then it's like, wow, I want my life to be a sweet aroma. I don't want my life to be a stench before the Lord. I used to be a stench before the Lord. I've tasted of that cup. Maybe you've tasted of that cup. I said, cut it out. That cup is a lie from the pit of hell. Come to Jesus. You see? And so, in verse 15, and it shall burn and, and shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma as a memorial to the Lord. It's to honor him. To honor him. Just think of Cornelius, his prayers, his alms as a memorial before the Lord. You see, the Lord sees. He sees all these things. He sees everything. You think you're in secret? You're not a secret. You're not alone. You think the Lord doesn't know? Everything. He knows it all. And He still loves you. In verse 16, And the remainder of it Aaron and his sons shall eat. So there's provisions for the priests. Food for the priests. Now you start to see these provisions that we're going to see in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. The provisions that were for the priests. You start to see, you know, at first, I, I shouldn't say at first, but, well, maybe at first, but we're going to see very early on a little desecration, I'll say. But the Lord, you know, for the priests, you know, it's like, this is God's business in the old, in accordance with the old covenant. This is God's business, and there were provision for the priests. That's why Jesus was so angry when he gets inside the temple and he sees the money changers. You hear people talk about, oh yeah, God didn't like the money changers, so therefore he doesn't like the monetary system. It's not about the monetary system. The money changers. It's about turning temple into commerce or turning church into commerce. A commercial business. You see, God, what he wanted in the law, what he implemented in the law, it's so that people can be right before him. And so if we were Jews back then, like in Jesus' days, in accordance with the law, you know, before Jesus Christ died, you know, in accordance with the law, what would we do? It's like, man, there's sin in my life. And so there's sin in my home. And so say, for example, if I had a kid who was like all kinds of wickedness, well, number one, I wouldn't be a stupid parent, you know, that wants to, you know, be best friends with this kid. You know, I'd put that kid in check. And if it had to get physical, I had to, hey, get physical. That's why it's much easier to discipline your kids when they're young. And I don't mean like beat them with the pulp. 
But it's like, you know, you know, if you have to spank your kid from time to time, spank your kid. And, you know, don't put big old welts on them. But they need to feel the sting of an authority figure. Because kids grow up, they've never felt the sting of authority. And now look, you know, they're running out in the streets. They've never felt the sting of an authority figure. And I'm not talking like, you know, you know, royal rumble with your kids. But start young. It's a lot easier when they're young. Because you can pick them up, you know, put them on your lap and spank, spank. Spankity, spankity. But then what happens when your kid gets 15 and, you know, joins a football team? You know, he's going to throw you. He can't discipline that behemoth. You see, it's so, so much easier to teach your kid the respect for authority. And these priests, these wayward priests, they started to turn temple worship into business. People would come, so that example I was given, say if I had a wayward kid, I'd say, hey, you know what? What's up, son? This is wrong before the Lord. You know, put him in check. Make sure he's right in my home. Right before the Lord, under my roof. You see, he flushes the toilet. He goes, you know, does his business on the toilet, flushes the toilet. Hey, that's the money that I work. That's the sweat of my brow that flushes that toilet. You want to turn on the lights in your room? Hey, that's the sweat of my brow that keeps lights on. You like the internet? Hey, that's the sweat of my brow that pays for that internet. You're going to respect me in my home. And you need to be right before the Lord. You know, I don't, they didn't have internet back in those days, but you know, you're going to respect, respect me in my tent. And so all of a sudden my home is right. Like, you know, my home is stable, but I still need to, that sin still needs atoning. I still need to present to the Lord my sacrifice because I've sinned before the Lord. So I'd go to the temple with my sheep, the cream of the crop sheep, the best sheep that I had. Now, if I had a bunch of mangy sheeps, my sheep might be mangy to the eyes of somebody else. But with my sheep, this sheep is the best one I have. It might be mangy to another person, but it's the best I got. And so I present it to the Lord and the Lord desired that it was pleasing to the Lord. So I'd walk inside the temple and then you'd have the money changers. Oh, okay, so let's take a look at this. And they were in cahoots with the priests. Oh, let's take a look at this. This is a mangy lamb. The Lord's not going to accept this. You're not going to be right before the Lord. So here, let's set this one to the side. And let's figure, there's this other one. I'll sell it to you for 100 bucks. And I'm a poor guy. It's like, I don't have 100 bucks, but I want to be right with the Lord. So I'm going to take some of my rent money. And I'm going to give it to the, give it to these people who work at the priests. And it's like, okay, so I'll buy this other sheep that, yeah, it looks better than mine. But no, because of my flock, that was the best one. What I brought was the best one. The Lord knew it. And you get these priests, they're in cahoots with the money changers. That's why Jesus was mad. Flipping tables, get this money out of here. Here you guys are counting your money. Get this out of here. And he was whipping and beating people. like get And they thought he was crazy. And he says, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. 
he wants people to be right. He wants people to be right before the Lord, before his Father. Desires people to be clean before his Father. It's the same thing today. People turn church into a business. You know? That you're turning into a business. You're a tithe. They teach all kind of crazy doctrine. They say, oh yeah, by the way, you know, tithe. You hear that you turn on the TV, they say, oh yeah, if you want to sow a seed of a thousand dollars, garbage, money changers. But to take your soul and have it be right before our father, before your father. That's the work of Jesus Christ. The salvation of your soul. That's the father's business. That's why Jesus was mad. Man, he was mad. And rightfully so. That's righteous indignation. It's to be right before the Lord. So let's continue here in um, uh, verse 16. And the remainder of it Aaron and his sons shall eat. With unleavened bread it shall be eaten in a holy place. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting they shall eat it. So this provision for the priests, you see, and what I love so much about Paul is Paul says, you know what? There is provision for the, for the messengers. There is provision for the apostles. But Paul, you know what Paul says? He says, I don't want it. He straight up tells the people, I don't want your money. You keep it. I don't want your money. He says, freely I have given, freely I have received, freely I give. And it was Jesus Christ. He says, yeah, I have the right, you know, in accordance with the word of God, in accordance with provision for these teachers and pastors and elders, I have the right. But I deny my right. That's what Paul said. I deny my right. Because I want to present you to Jesus Christ. I'm so in love with Paul. And so look what happens here in verse um, 17. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my offerings. This is so important. Because here in accordance with the old covenant, the people offer to God, period. The people offer to God. That's transaction number one. And then another transaction happens. Well, God offers to the priests. It's never the people giving to the priests. Never. We're going to see that in, you know, in future chapters. It's never the people giving directly to the priests. Never. It's always the people giving to God. And what we're going to see when there's waywardness, wickedness enters the camp... 
you're going to start to see priests who turn it into a business. Priests, you're going to see like Eli and Eli's sons. All these things that they should be doing in the temple. But you know what they were doing? Having fun, you know, in accordance with the world. Having quote unquote fun. You know, having sex with men's daughters. So like a guy would come with his animal, be right with the Lord, to get right with the Lord. And then all of a sudden the priest would come to the side with the, you know, and talk to the guy's daughters and say, hey, you know, let's go do this. And so they would, it's like such sin before the Lord. And the Lord killed them. The Lord took their lives. And not just their lives, Eli's sons, he took Eli's life too. The high priest. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. This is a hardcore message for pastors, elders, and Bible teachers. Hardcore, hardcore message. Remember, God is no respecter of persons. And we're going to see, like we've already studied already. It's like, you need to think like, wow, you know, you read passages of Matthew and you're like, wow, Lord, that's, that's harsh. You read, you know, teachings of Jesus. It's like, well, that's hardcore. That's kind of harsh. You see what Paul says, Peter, you know, Stephen. It's like, whoa, that's, that's kind of harsh. But when you think of what's, what's more harsh, you know, their words or burning in hell, what's more harsh? You see, it's not harsh at all. It's love. Not worldly love, where worldly love wants to, you know, appeal to your feelings. I mean, biblical love. And biblical love is, delivers truth. And truth evokes a response to the hearer to say, I repent. I believe. Lord, forgive me. It's another holy transaction in accordance to the new covenant. And so let's look at what happens here in verse um, 17. I have given it as their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy. Kodesh, Kodesh. We talked about that a couple chapters ago. Like the sin offering and the trespass offering. All the males among the children of Aaron may eat it. It shall be a statute forever in your generations concerning the offerings made by fire to the Lord. Everyone who touches them must be holy. I'm going to read this again. Everyone who touches them must be holy. And I'm going to place emphasis on this with a special message for pastors, elders, deacons, bishops, Bible teachers, youth leaders, everybody in ministry. Even the worship leaders. Be clean before the Lord. Consecrated, set apart, undefiled and pure before the Lord. Don't be a hypocrite. Hypocrisy does a lot of damage in the church. A lot of damage in the church. You know, it's not a job. You know, if you're a pastor, it's not a job. Like, you know, you clock in and it's like, okay, I'm going to read my Bible and then you clock out. No, it's a straight up calling. And you know, not just for pastors. That's kind of like my little urging and maybe even warning for pastors. But for everyone, pastors included, every, you know, from the pew and from the pulpit, for everyone. Being used of the Lord requires cleanliness. Cleanliness of the mind, cleanliness of the soul. 
And I don't mean cleanliness in terms of like, you know, in accordance with the law. I mean a spiritual cleanliness. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Don't meditate on sin. Don't meditate on the quote-unquote the good life. Meditate on the life to come, which is life in paradise. Think eternally. Be eternally minded. You hear people say, oh, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Be heavenly minded. Be heavenly minded and don't stop being heavenly minded because that's your destination when you believe in Jesus Christ. Everyone says, I want to be used of the Lord. I want to be used of the Lord. And I say, praise be unto the Lord. But you got to put down the crack pipe. You got to stop going to strip clubs. You got to stop doing these things. Be clean. And so look what happens here in verse 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, This is the offering of Aaron and his sons, which they shall offer to the Lord. Beginning on the day when he is appointed, one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a daily grain offering, half of it in the morning and half of it at night. So don't think the priests are without you know, offerings unto the Lord. I mean, their lives are you know, in service unto the Lord, but you know, they still have to offer unto the Lord. And so he says here in verse, uh, this daily grain offering, you know, but in verse 21, uh, uh, it, sh it shall be made in a pan with oil. When it is mixed, you shall bring it in. The baked pieces of the grain offering you shall offer for a sweet aroma to the Lord. And you're going to see, like, you know, I said in a little bit earlier, how you're going to see how priests get preoccupied with other things. And when I say other things, they get preoccupied with other gods. They get preoccupied with sex. And, you know, it's so interesting because it reminds me of the church today and church leadership today. That all of a sudden it's like they believe in God, but then they start to introduce these other things. They have other issues in their lives because they don't reckon the old man dead the carnal nature starts to rise up again. They're not fighters. They're not warriors. They don't, you know, uh, test the spirits. And all of a sudden they get led to, you know, false doctrine and led into apostasy. It's satanic. You know, I was reading an article recently how you know, there was this uh, excavation in Israel and they saw this old uh, temple area and, you know, which isn't, it's, it wasn't in Jerusalem, which, you know, it's kind of like, okay, if it's, you know, not to say that Jerusalem was like the hub because we're going to see like in, in the minor prophets, how, you know, there's other temples out there, temple synagogues out there for, for worship unto the Lord. But in this temple that they found, all, they were doing some excavation and they found in the ashes and they did some research of the ashes, ashes, and 
I don't know how they do it, but they like looked at the content and they found like drug paraphernalia in there. And I thought like, wow, that's very interesting because it's like, it's just like today. Just like today, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Among the so-called clergy. Sex and drugs. Pastors, you know, a major church in town. They just got busted up because the pastor was a pusher. You know, it's like, wow, the pastor had to step down. See, where, where were the elders? Where were the co-pastors? To say, hey, cut it out. Oh, don't judge me lest you, judge, lest you be judged. You see that mentality? It's dangerous in the church. That's yeah, too hardcore. You're too hardcore. No, there's no other way to live. Especially in the last days. Because Satan knows his time is coming. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill your family. He wants to enter your home and destroy it. That's what he wants to do. My question is, will you let him? Or will you fight? The choice is yours. You see, the choice is mine. It's so cool. You see this, you see the early church, and it's like, man, they they had they had the warrior mentality. And so look what happens here in verse um verse uh 22, the priest from among his sons who is anointed in, in his place shall offer it. It is a statute forever. It shall be wholly burned or completely burned. So even for like the family of the priest. So he has some kids, you know, they're teenagers. They get raised up and so for the next generation to serve the Lord. And so there's, you know, provision for like, hey, you know, have your kids partake in this. Use your kids so that they can learn the things in service unto the Lord. And so like for your homes, for your families and your little ones, you train them up and it's like, wow, you know, we do these things in service unto the Lord. It's an act of sacrifice unto the Lord. Whatever, you know, applying the word in your life. You know, always, you know, be uh, eternally minded, but then at the same time with a focus on the next generation of righteousness. You know, if you have kids. And if you don't have kids, you know, with focus on, you know, the next generation of righteousness, because once you die, you know, who's going to, who's going to be the standard bearer? Who's going to carry the flag? And so the priest here, it says, uh, or in verse 23, for every grain offering for the priest shall be wholly burnt. It shall not be eaten. Also, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and to his son saying, this is the law of the sin offering in the place where the burnt offering is killed. The sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. You see, points to Jesus Christ, the sin offering. It is most holy. See, what blows me away so much is that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the elders of the law in Jesus' days, they should have known these things. What happened to them is that their walk, their witness became religion. That's what happened. It became religion and it became tradition. And it became a spectacle. Remember, the Lord says, okay, do what they say, but don't do what they do. You see, the Lord is witness. And so look what happens here in verse 26. 
The priest who offers it, it for sin shall eat it in a holy place. It shall be eaten in the court of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, very interesting because remember Jesus Christ says to the Pharisees, unless you eat my flesh, unless you eat my flesh, you have no life. And the Pharisees were like, what? Is he talking about cannibalism? Does he want us to eat him? But no, they were focused on the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. Big, huge multitudes that Jesus Christ would speak to. And then all of a sudden he would say, to those who have ears, let them hear. And then he'd walk away and like several people would come and follow him. Big, huge multitudes. And like a little handful would come out of them to follow Jesus. It's the same today. Big, huge multitudes, they hear scripture, they hear the word of God. And it's like, uh, that's cool. If that Whatever floats your boat, man. I'm going to go do my thing. You do your thing. But to those who have ears, ears to hear, eyes to see, they'll understand. The truth of God's holy word will be like music to their ears. Beautiful, beautiful, like nourishment for the soul. Tell me more. Tell me more. What do I need to do? You need to repent. Believe in Jesus Christ. Receive the Holy Spirit. So look what happens here in uh, verse 27. Everyone who touches its flesh must be holy, you see. Pure, clean, no hypocrisy. You know, this happens to every yielding Christian who is humble before God. You become holy. Say you believe in Jesus Christ, but you have such major pride. Well, you know what? that's okay. You know, I'm not trying to say that that's okay to continue like that because you come to Christ like whatever. You believe in Jesus Christ. You can have all kinds of issues, but you know what you have to let happen? You must let the Lord clean you. That's why you you hear me say from time to time, Jesus cleans his own fish. You need to allow him to do that, which can be painful depending on what you want to hold on to. Because he has to gut you like a fish. And he's going to take out the old. Which might include pride. It might include anger. It might include lust. It might include, you know, drugs. Alcohol. It might include lying. It might include the little white lies. It might include extortion. It might include, you know, cheating on your taxes. It might include paying people under the table. But you must let Jesus Christ clean you. It might even include incarceration. You say, what are you talking about? Well, you know, what about people who committed major crimes, but they're like, you know, roaming around freely. And then they come to Christ. They no longer want to have a witness that is dishonored before the Lord. And then they go to police station. And say, hey, you know how you guys are looking for that robbery? It's me. I did it. And cops are like, what? What in the world? They'll probably laugh. You know, they'll put you in cuffs, book you, do all the whole nine yards. And what made you confess up? I'm a Christian. You know, I I believe in Jesus Christ now. I just received him as my Lord. And you can witness to the cops. You know, you can witness to your jailbird friends. You know, you'd be a witness. 
And you might be in, in jail. You know, somebody who goes to prison is going to end up in prison. And you tell them about Jesus Christ. And in this life, they might be in prison in this life. You might be in prison in this life. You might be on, you know, death row. But I'm talking about the life to come. Free. Remember, like, the thief on the cross? He looks at Jesus. He's like, man. He tells the other thief. You know, they were both mocking him. Both thieves. Both of them were mocking Jesus Christ. And then when you read the uh, uh, gospel in chronological order, uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and James, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then all of a sudden you start to see one of them changes. He tells the other thief, he says, man, you know, we're here because we deserve to be here. We're the criminals. He's here. He hasn't done anything. He's innocent. And he looks at Jesus and says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And he tells the guy, he tells him, Jesus Christ tells him, today I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine hearing those words from the Son of God? From the straight up Son of God, today you will be with me in paradise. It's like, whoa. And you're on the cross, you're hanging, you hear Jesus Christ say that and you're like, I can't wait to die. And you see, it's like, wow, you know, you're on the cross and you hear Jesus Christ say that today you'll be with me in paradise. Wow, how beautiful. It doesn't matter what your station in life is. But the life to come, your choices in this life will determine your station in the life to come. And so let's see what happens here in verse uh, 27, everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. And when its blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. But the earthen vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken. And and if it is boiled in a bronze pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in in the water. You see, it's such a trip because it's like the person who becomes a vessel used by the Lord and service unto Him will have a greater understanding of rinsing, scouring, boiling, and brokenness. You say, I don't get what you mean. Well, in time, maybe you will. But I reckon this has something to do with what Paul told the church in our study in the book of Acts when he said, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Brokenness before the Lord. You see, it's that's what I love so much about Paul. It's like he counted the he counted the cost hardcore. He counted the cost. He was like, you know what? To live is Christ, to die is gain. And death is going to happen large scale in the last days. Death of the saints. It will be given to the Antichrist to prevail over the saints. It will be allowed, permitted, straight up to prevail over the saints. You read the prophecies in Daniel. Daniel 11. It says people who have understanding will instruct many. But at the same time, they're also going to be killed. Count the cost. 
People say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. What happens when somebody puts a gun to your head and says, hey, you know, who's God? Are you still going to believe in Jesus Christ? That's why I say count the cost. I don't just say it. Jesus Christ said it. Count the cost. And so look at verse 29 in closing. All the males among the priests may eat it. It is most holy, but no sin offering from which any of the blood from, from which any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burned in the fire. You start to understand when we read our study through the book of Hebrews, or if you remember our study in Hebrews, when Jesus Christ as the propitiation. You know, is the propitiation. Remember, he is the sin offering. He is the trespass offering. He's also the high priest. It's very important to understand these things, not to go back to the law and be like, wow, Leviticus just blessed my socks off. Now let's start to sacrifice these animals. No, righteousness doesn't come to the law. Righteousness only comes through Jesus Christ. Only. He's the only way, the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's what, those are his words. You know, I have to say something to pastors, pastors, Bible teachers, elders, youth leaders. Consider the, the tabernacle, the, the, the schematics of the tabernacle. A person enters the gate, enters, and when they enter, you escort the elder priest would escort them. You know, escort them to the, the altar. And then the priest, you know, that positionally speaking, they would get closer to God. They would move closer to the Holy of Holies. And it's the exact same thing now. Exact same thing now. A person comes to the door, receives Jesus Christ, receives Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, positionally, they get closer to the Lord in their understanding to the Lord. Once the connection is made with a person and Jesus Christ, you're kind of done. You're done. The connection is made with Jesus Christ, the Word of God. They're walking with the Lord, and you're kind of done. But that's not to say that, you know, you're done, period. It's to say you're done in that regard. But then this equipping still has to happen. And then maybe in this equipping of the saints... The Lord will bless you in another way. You know, you'll still have Kodesh Kodesh, just as we talked about a couple chapters ago. You'll still have Kodesh Kodesh. But maybe the Lord will bless you another way. In that, you won't be alone. You have people alongside you to link shields and say, hey, you know what? Let's fight. Let's be warriors in the last days. You see how beautiful this is? Leviticus, who'd have thought that, you know, we'd be so blessed by the study of Leviticus? Wow, it's so cool because you start to understand deeper things of the Lord, His nature, His character, His love for you. So we're going to end our study here. We'll pick up next week in chapter 7. God bless you guys. Love you guys. Miss you guys.